Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they're investing and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, I'm Ellie Perlman with a special edition of Ready to Scale for you today. The first Tuesday of each month, I will be releasing an advanced training session on information like raising capital, creating an effective acquisition process, and more on all things related to being a multifamily syndicator. These recordings are from webinars that I hosted, so you can also jump on my YouTube channel called Ready to Scale Multifamily Investing with Ellie Perlman and watch along if you prefer. In these sessions, you will learn valuable information to help give you a competitive edge and keep your business thriving. Now let's get started. Welcome everyone to my webinar. I'm Ellie Perlman, the CEO of Lily Capital, and today I'm gonna talk to you about real estate investing in volatile markets. So I hope everyone can see my screen and I think we can just go ahead and start. So a little bit about me, just so you know who's talking to you. I was born in Israel and I had a very, very humble beginning. I moved to the States about less than six years ago, actually. I went to MIT, I got my MBA degree, and that was an interesting you know, career path after working as a lawyer and as a property manager in Israel. So here in the States, I actually buy multifamily properties across the U.S. In addition, I'm a coach. I have a program called Ready to Scale, and I teach people how to buy multifamily properties and how to build a syndication business. I also write for Forbes about real estate investing, syndication, and multifamily in specific. And my company owns about 2,000 units across the U.S. All right. So... The three things that we're going to cover today is should you invest now? And there was actually supposed to be a question mark right there because that's the biggest question that investors have today. Should we invest now or should we wait until this passes? The second bullet point that we have that we're going to discuss today is if you decide that you want to invest today, then how should you do it? Because we all know it's a very, very volatile market right now that we're in. And then lastly, I'm going to talk about what to look for when you invest passively in multifamily or in any other, you know, asset class of real estate. And I'm going to leave some time for Q&A at the end. While I speak, as you have questions, please write them in the Q&A box so I can answer them as well. All right. So should you invest now? On one hand, I have to say that, you know, some people are thinking that investing right now is not a good idea. It's actually a bad idea. The main reason is that it's challenging to determine the right price. And what happens is, and we're going to talk about it in more details, but right now what happens is that until now, real estate prices were a bit inflated and I saw people over, you know, pay for for prices 
all the time. And now that we have this uncertainty, you don't know how much necessarily, you don't know how much you can pay for a property. So that's one of the main challenges why, you know, investing could be a bad idea. The other reason is that loans are much, much less attractive. And we're going to talk about why, because people think the feds are cutting their rates. It's 0% interest rate right now, or close to zero, then we should get great loans. But the truth is that it's what's happening is the exact opposite. So we're going to talk about it as well. And then we don't know when this will end. And that's kind of this huge you know, question mark is kind of leading many investors' decisions right now. And basically, many people decide not to invest at this point. So these are the three points that, you know, kind of very high level, why that basically talk to the point of why investing is a bad decision at this point. So let's dive a little bit into each of them. The first one is that it's challenging to determine the right price. So when you look at multifamily properties, basically the price depends on two factors. We have the cap rate, and that's determined by the market. I can tell you that up to a month ago, the average cap rate in the US was between five and five and a quarter. In some markets in the Midwest, we can see six to nine percent. Obviously, where I am in, you know, Los Angeles and core markets like San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, you know, cap rates were three percent and less than that. So cap rate is one part. And then the other factor that affects prices is NOI, which is net operating income. Now, net operating income is basically the property's income minus expenses, and it does not include the debt payments. So basically, NOI divided by price will give us the cap rate. So for instance, if a property is sold for a million dollars, that's a price the NOI is $100,000, then the cap rate would be 10% because it's basically the NOI of $100,000 over a million dollars, which is the price. And that's a challenge today with determining what's the right price. Even if you're willing to take on the risk of the higher vacancies or the higher delinquencies, then the price, there's a big unknown around the price. Because as you can see here, the cap rates have already increased. So we know what the cap rates in each market. It's, you can get that by conducting a market you know, survey or you know, by looking at research papers. And then the NOI is right now you have a certain NOI, but 10 days from now, 15 days from now, the NOI is probably going to change because we still don't know how many tenants are not going to pay which means because I don't know what the NOI will be in a month from now and two months from now, then the price is challenging to determine. So like I mentioned, the NOI drops when vacancies and delinquencies are up. So obviously right now, I think we're not going to see a sharp increase in vacancies because tenants are not going to move, especially with all the regulation in place right now that makes it very, very hard to evict non-paying tenants. But we're for sure going to see the delinquencies that are going to go up either because tenants are not willing to pay the rents or they cannot because they lost their jobs. So that means that cap rates are going to increase. So prices should decrease. But we don't know by how much the NOI or the income are going 
to decrease. So we can only guess, but usually, you know, in normal times, you can look at the past 12 months of any property and you can understand what is more likely that you're going to see after you're going to purchase the property in terms of vacancies, expenses, delinquencies, income, because we're assuming that the past 12 months are good indication of the next 12 months. But today, it's really, really hard to make that assumption because we just don't know what would be the income 30, 60, and 90 days from now. It doesn't matter what the income was a month ago or two months ago. It's not relevant because we were hit by you know, this virus and we have shelter-in-place regulations, which I honestly think it's a, is a great thing because we need to fight. We need to win in this war against the virus. But on the other hand, there's volatility right now because you just, you don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty because you don't know by how much the income is going to drop. And that makes basically determining the price a very challenging task. The second thing that we discuss is that the lows are much less attractive. So there's a misconception, as I mentioned before, the Fed's lowered the interest rate to zero. So lenders will extend loans with lower than ever interest rates. But the exact opposite happened. The reality is that lenders increase their interest rates. They increase their DSCR, which is the debt coverage ratio. It's basically the ratio between your income and the debt payments. So until now, 125 was kind of the figure we've seen in many deals, which means your income has to be 125% higher than the debt payments. Now we're talking about 135 to 155. And in addition, they decreased the LTVs. We used to see 75, sometimes even 80% LTV. And now we're talking about 55 to 65%. And that affects your returns because you need to put more money into the deals. And the fact that all those changes, the fact is that basically the loan just got much less you know, attractive. And that's a big issue when it comes to the profitability of deals. And that's the reality of it. So things changed and they changed pretty quickly. And that also you know, makes it more challenging to invest right now. It makes a lot of deals that used to look good not look so good at this point. The third point is that we don't know when this will end. You know, nobody does. And, you know, even though growth rate in Italy and New York seem to have slowed down, we still don't know. It could be a secondary outbreak. We don't know if we're going to leave our homes and be back to work by the end of May. I mean, we just don't know. So all those points, you know, basically what I'm trying to say is that there's a lot of uncertainty so on one hand, you know, some investors might think that this is actually not the right time to buy real estate. But I want to introduce a little bit of a kind of different approach to why that could be a good time to purchase deals. First of all, we're finally seeing good deals out there. I can tell you as a sponsor, as a syndicator, you know, we've been looking at deals in the past two years so many deals hit our desk and we've had to pass on so many because when the market is good, when everyone is making money, when unemployment is you know, historically low, then there's a lot of capital out there chasing deals. And that means that if a property is worth 20 million and someone is willing to pay 23 million, they just overpaid $3 million. And you make money in real estate when you buy a property, not when you sell it because you have to sell it right. 
So even though from passive investors perspective, you had a lot of deals and you make, you know, good returns, it was really, really hard to find good deals. And finally, what we see is that an influx of deals that are off market. So the competition is less fierce because a lot of buyers are not buying right now and we see better terms. So we don't have to put earnest money that becomes hard after three days, which means, you know, usually if there's a deal, you know, we're signed on a contract, then sometimes we would write a $500,000 check and we would send it to the seller. And if we cannot close, because it's something not necessarily what the seller did, but if we cannot close because there's not enough capital or we changed our minds or something happened, we couldn't get financing, then we would never see this half a million dollar back. And this is the risk that we used to take. And right now, nobody's talking about earnest money, about that becomes hard, meaning non-refundable. And so that's one portion of it. But we finally see good deals out there. We see price cuts. We see a lot of off-market deals. And finally, I think we see deals that are marketed around or below their true value. And this is refreshing to see. So from a point of view of someone who's seen a lot of, you know, probably thousands of deals in the past, you know, several years, this is the time where we actually seen good deals out there. And good deals meaning they're priced correctly or there's a price cut. So we're not overpaying. And I probably, you know, I'm one of the syndicators that bought deals much slower than anyone else because overpaying, you know, really concerns me and I never want to be in that position. So, you know, as I mentioned, we have a lot of off-market deals right now on the table that we're looking at. And I think it's exciting that we do right now, we see good deals that are happening. Finally, we've been waiting years for that to happen. I'm not saying we're necessarily going to purchase anything in the next 15 days or 30 days, but I do see a change and that's pretty refreshing. You know, remember those who took a chance after 2008? I think those who bought smart after the last recession, who were not scared, who were willing to take calculated risk, were actually making a lot of money. So wealth was built right after 2008, and wealth will be built in this recession. I hear often people use the word, you know, fear or scared. And I always say, you have to take your emotions out of real estate investing or any investing the same way that a year ago and three months ago, you shouldn't have invested in a deal because you were excited about how pretty the property was or how colorful it was. You should have looked into the numbers and focused on the numbers. It's the same thing here. You shouldn't be scared to invest if it's the right thing to do. If you can actually, you know, look at the numbers and the numbers and the assumptions are making sense. And that leads me to the next part of our presentation, how to invest in a volatile market. So I'm not saying that right now there are great deals, so you should you know, go ahead and just and invest in real estate and buy properties. You still have to be very, very cautious the same way that you were a year ago, six months ago. And my feeling that investors sometimes were too eager to invest, and I understand that they had cash that they wanted to deploy, but the goal is to really be conservative, to look at the numbers, focus on the risk factors, make sure you understand them, and then make an informed decision and not let 
any emotion get in the way, not when the economy is booming and not when we're crushing because emotions, they always get in the way. And I think they actually make you just make the wrong decisions sometimes. So how to invest in a volatile market? So I already talked about, you know, taking your emotions out of investing. I can tell you as a former lawyer, I've seen a lot of, you know, clients that were part of very, very complicated deals in real estate. Those who basically approach deals without any emotional factor, they were the ones who were actually the most successful ones. So Take your emotions out of investing as much as possible. Make sure it's a solid deal. The same way you would look at a deal before and after in terms of focusing on the numbers, looking at the assumptions and make sure it actually makes sense. So two years ago, if you look at a deal and looked at the estimation when it comes to rent increases and you saw 5% rent increases for the next five years, that doesn't make any sense. And it would not make sense now, obviously. And I can share with you later on what we do differently and how we adjust our assumptions. So whether you're syndicators or whether you're passive investors and you're looking at a deal, you'll know what to look for and what to ask your sponsor, your syndicator. Make sure that you're basically investing in the right deal. The last thing I would say here is that you have to plan for the long term. Don't focus on the income for the next six months or nine months because you know that could be a tough period. We're probably ahead of a tough three to nine months. So don't focus on the short term, but look at the long term. You know, be ready to get very small returns in the short term in the next, you know, perhaps six months. But also look at the period after that and make sure that the assumptions, as I mentioned, actually make sense. So what to look for when investing passively? I'm going to talk about the seven deal factors that you must examine closely. And by the way, if you want a copy of this presentation, you can either email me ellie at ellieperlman.com or you can email Jeanette. Her email address is Jeanette at bluelake-com capital.com and we'll be happy to send you this presentation so you don't have to you know worry about taking notes and i'm going to cruise through it it's 10:20 right now and i want to leave some time for some q and a the first thing you have to look at is the debt so fixed rate is always better than fluctuating rates because you don't know what the interest rate is going to be a year from now two years from now that can really really impact your returns i also like to invest with agency and take an agency debt. So Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, I think it's better than a bridge loan. Bridge debt, you know, think about all the deals that were performing well with a bridge debt and now they have to refinance because bridge loan, you know, usually it's for a year or two years and now they need to refinance and the market is not looking so good when it comes to debt right now. So that's something that a year and two years ago, you know, it looked like we're going to continue this party for the long term and it's just, it didn't happen. So just make sure that you are looking into the debt structure of every deal and also make sure that the sponsor receives the final quote for the debt because they can assume when they run the numbers that they will get 75% LTV or maybe 3.7% interest rate. And because things change so quickly, maybe the final quote they're going to get is much worse and that impacts returns. So that's one of the things I would make sure to ask. 
When it comes to income assumptions, ask the sponsor for T12 and look at the average income before April 1st and after. Look for a trend. So don't just you know, assume that a sponsor's assumptions are reasonable. Look at the numbers yourself and make an informed decision whether it makes sense. You don't have to be an underwriter. You don't have to, of course, run the numbers yourself. But as a passive investor, looking at the profit and loss statement is important. So ask for those profit and loss statements from the sponsor and just compare how much the income was each month leading to April 1st and then how much it drops. And then, you know, look at the income assumption, especially in year one and year two. So for instance, we are not including any rent increases for two years. I think we will be able to do it after maybe nine months, but just to be on the safe side, we basically say no rent increases in two years. We're also looking at the occupancy levels and we're assuming much, much higher vacancy rate that we would have normally, even though, again, I think because evictions is not an option for many, many real estate investors right now, vacancies are going to remain the same. It's basically the delinquencies, the bad debt that is going to increase. So look at bad debt and make sure it's not, you know, half a percent or 1% because these are figures we used to use before the virus. Now bad debt can really increase. So look at the average bad debt from the PL of the property you want to invest in. Let's say if it's 2%, it doesn't make sense. It's going to remain 2% now. It should probably be higher. So make sure you look at those figures and you have a conversation with your sponsor about, you know, how they got to the figures that they got. How did they make the assumptions? Make sure that it actually makes sense. And sometimes it does, but you have to inquire and you have to assume that because there's a lot of uncertainty, there's going to be some assumptions that are going to be pretty aggressive and you just want to avoid it. The third thing is the exit cap. So you have to know what is the in-place cap rate, which is the cap rate that we purchased the property with, and the exit cap, which means what would be the cap rate when we're going to sell the property in five, seven, or 10 years. Normally, I want to see higher exit cap than the in-place cap rate because lower cap rate means higher prices, means strong economy. So if I assume the cap rate is going to be the same now and the same in five years, it's not realistic. And if I'm wrong, more power to you, you're going to get higher returns and you're going to, you know, that's going to be an excellent investment. But what if you're wrong? It impacts the income that you're going to receive from the property significantly. So usually we use 0.1% per holding year, but right now it probably makes sense to increase it even further. Reserves. Ask the sponsor how much money they plan to keep in reserves. A good rule of thumb is 10% extra on top of the current budget. So we have a budget, let's say, of a million dollars for deferred maintenance and for any other capital expenditures. We add a 10% extra for that. We might want to bump it up a little bit more now, but you have to ask the sponsor what type of reserves they have and how they got to that number and if they have any extra. So in rainy days like these, for instance, you can use the extra money you have and that can help you pay utilities, pay other bills, pay mortgage. That's very, very important to invest in a deal that is not thin on reserves because these are the type of deals that are going to get into trouble right now. 
Current COVID-19 situation, you want to understand and make sure that the deal you're investing in has safety protocols. So if the sponsor is still planning to show tenants the units in person, that could be a problem. It means that they haven't thought it through. It means that they might expose the community to a possible infection, and that's really bad. So have to make sure that there are safety protocols. Even if we're out of the pandemic and out of the situation and everything is back to normal, make sure to have safety procedures because we don't know if it's going to come back next year. We don't know if there's going to be a secondary infection wave. We just want to make sure that we're not just forgetting about what's happening now, that we're prepared you know, for the future. Business plan is next. So, you know, it's really important to know whether the sponsor is planning on implementing a renovation plan. I can tell you right now, we haven't foreseen a pandemic, so we plan to renovate for two years. But after six months of purchasing a property, we stop the renovation. It doesn't make sense to spend money on renovating units if we can bring tenants to the new units because shelter in place isn't, is basically in effect. And we're basically, we want to make sure that tenants are staying and then they're paying. So renovating units means increasing rents because you need to pay for the capex that you've, you need to see a return on your investment. So right now we pause it. So I would say any deal right now that has any renovation plan that is going to be carried over in the next, I would say 18 months, it's not a deal that I would personally invest in. So make sure that the business plan makes sense with whatever is happening today. Because many deals work only if you renovate the units. And just make sure that if there is a renovation plan in place, that the explanation actually makes sense why it would work. The last factor is organic rent growth. So organic rent growth is basically how much rents would increase due to supply and demand and deflation, not because you're renovating units. And so organic rent growth, that's something that really impacts returns. So you want to see, and I've talked about it before, you want to make sure that the organic rent growth is zero or very minimal, at least for a year. Again, we use zero organic rent growth for two years. Hopefully we're not going to see negative rent growth, which is kind of what's happening right now. So make sure there's no positive number in the assumption in the organic rent growth. That's very, very, very important. So here are my contact information. If you want to reach out to me, you can basically look for more information on this website, ellieperlman.com or email me. Now I want to answer some of the questions that you have on a chat. So I see a question, what advice do you have for someone who is a new real estate investor who was planning to purchase her first multifamily property this summer? I would say take advantage of the time that you have right now where it looks like deals are not, you know, are kind of slowing down, that the pipeline is slowing down. Take the time you have right now to educate yourself. This is a great time for education. It's a great time to start reviewing deals, see who you want to work with, whether you're going to purchase the property on your own or through a syndicator. Take the time to learn whatever you can. So by the time we're out of the woods and the economy is back on track, you are in the best position to make a decision and move fast that you're not just learning about investing with a syndicator or buying a multifamily property on your own. That's what I would say. Just take advantage of this time to learn and educate yourself and don't be scared. Once you educate yourself enough, 
you'll know when you see a good deal that it is a good deal. I think the main challenge is to quantify the increasing delinquencies and perhaps an increase in vacancies because that decrease should impact the price. So I would say until you know at least April numbers and probably May numbers, meaning the May income numbers, the May P&L, it might be challenging to look at a deal and understand what would be you know, a reasonable assumption for an income moving forward. All right. And I have another question from Tammy. What assumptions are you using in your underwriting for vacancy and economic vacancy? Very good question, Tammy. For vacancy, so the assumptions are never being done in a vacuum. I always, I'm starting by looking, there are three factors. One is the market. What's the market vacancy? And it's good for vacancy and economic vacancy, which translates into delinquencies. But basically looking at the market and understanding where is the market right now and what is the vacancy in bad debt and delinquencies are in the market right now. Or probably, you know, today's April 2nd, so we're probably going to need another week to digest the changes because everyone paid for March, but a lot are not going to pay for April. So I'm looking at market reports to see what is happening around the property. The second factor is looking at the property itself and looking at the previous historical performance. So if the property is already, let's say, 9% vacant, then assuming 10% vacancy is not really reasonable because I assume it's going to be higher. But if the property was 2% vacant, then 10% looks very different. So you have to understand what's happening in the area and what has been happening with the property up to now. And I would say at least, at least in April, look at the numbers in April and look at the vacancy, economic vacancy, you know, bad debt, delinquencies, all of those factors. And that's really going to help you make a decision Right now, without seeing what's happening in the property you want to purchase, what was the collection situation on April 1st, it's a little bit challenging to actually make any assumption. But that's how I make my assumptions. I would say at least three times more bad debt, at least three times more vacancy. And after April, I see if these assumptions were even reasonable because if bad debt, which are the delinquencies, jumped by 500%, then the 300% increase that I assumed were not conservative enough. So I'm only going to know in about a week from now. I see another question. Are there certain resources you recommend for beginners to further educate themselves on real estate investing? Yeah, so I'm not affiliated with Bigger Pockets. I think it's a really good source with a lot of, it's kind of a forum for real estate investors. There's a lot of articles there, a lot of information. You can also go to my website, ellieperlman.com, and there's a lot of free information. There are links to the Forbes article that I write and also have my own blog outside of Forbes. So you can read a lot about basically stuff very similar to what I'm talking about, what I was presenting today. So that could be another source and also listen to podcasts. I think, you know, when I started investing, I learned a lot from podcasts. So you can find my podcast. It's called Unbelievable Real Estate Stories or Ready to Scale. It kind of goes with two names, but I don't want to do too much self-promote. There are other good podcasts out there. You can browse and see who you feel that provides the most value. 
I'm pretty sure that Bigger Pockets have a podcast and there are other good podcasts out there. So I think we're five minutes after 10.30. I want to thank everyone who attended the webinar. Thank you so much for spending the last 35 minutes with me. If you have some more answers, feel free to email me. Again, it's Ellie at ellieperlman.com. And I'm happy you know, to assist as much as I can. And again, if you want a copy of the presentation, you can just email me or email Jeanette at bluelake-capital.com. Stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll see you on the next webinar. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.